chapter 13. Two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, we learned about uh, the, the basic fact that we all have the Great Commission. And everybody says, Amen. oh, that's weak. And everybody says, Amen. go preach the gospel to every creature. Share the truth that you have. Be a witness. But you shall be witnessing to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are all missionaries. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, hello. hello. I'm a missionary. Hello. hello. I'm a missionary. We're all missionaries. We all have a responsibility. We all have the calling. We all have the command from Jesus Christ himself. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Get the gospel to all the world. Why should we do it? Because I said so. You remember? Two weeks ago we said, why should we do this? Just like our parents when we were growing up. Uh, you know, they would give us something to do. They would give us a responsibility. And sometimes if we had a, a lapse in, in, in intelligence, we would ask the question, why? And what would they say? Come on, everybody. And that's enough. That's enough. The last thing Jesus gave us, the last response, the last responsibility, the last command he gave us, go preach the gospel to every creature. The Great Commission, Matthew 28 uh, take the gospel to every creature. Uh, the last thing, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after that year. Uh, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Say that with me. You shall be witnesses, all right? Now, now here's what we learn. We're all missionaries. But tonight, I want to I go a little step further. I want to talk about a, another part, not necessarily local missionaries. Now, I'll use that for us, Okay. That's, that's the terminology we're going to use for us, local missionaries. We're all missionaries. When we leave that door, when we leave that door, we're walking into the mission field. You are now entering the mission field. As soon as you leave the house of God, you are in the mission field. We are all local missionaries. But God will, on occasion, uh, uh, he will call foreign missionaries or missionaries to go to the field, the foreign field, not the local field, but the foreign field. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to explain that, how that works, uh, the, the first missionary journey that Paul goes on, how that all began, how he sustains himself and supports himself on this missionary journey and so forth. How does this happen? How do missionaries get called? How do they get sent? How do they do what they do? That's what we're going to cover tonight. And for all those that didn't show up tonight because you thought a missionary uh, uh, was going to speak, shame on you. <clears throat> And I hope you're watching by way of internet. Amen. Uh, because, and if you're not, I want everybody to go out and tell how much you learned tonight. Because you're going to learn a lot. It's going to be a good, good lesson tonight. Y'all ready to learn? Amen. All right. Let's look in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 in verse number 1. When you find your spot, say amen. amen. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. As Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger... And Lucius of Cyrene and Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord, that's key, that's key, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, say that with me, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, now we know Saul is, is Paul, okay, that's the Apostle Paul, uh, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. All right, let me read verse 2 and 3 again. 
as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. Father, thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for this good crowd. It's so exciting to come and step on the platform and see all these people that are ready. Lord, they're willing. They're ready. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to develop in discipleship. Thank you so much for their their commitment. God, I I know there's probably a hundred things they could be doing. Uh, it's cool outside, and it probably uh, probably would have felt better just to stay in in in, in the living room and, and, and on the couch. But God, they stepped out and they came. Well, Lord, I pray that you'll bless them. I pray that you'll pour your spirit upon them. I pray that when we leave here, we'll be we'll be wiser. Uh, Lord, we will grow in our faith, and Lord, we will grow in our knowledge of the way we're going to get the gospel to every creature. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. We pray, and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. I got some verses I want to go over <clears throat> before we jump into the outline. Uh, I didn't give them to you because I didn't want two pages of notes to go out, so we could, have, you know, we'd have double the amount of pages we'd had to print off. Uh, so if you want to write down the the address somewhere on your notes somewhere, and then you can go back and look them up if you want to. Uh, I, and I, I I'll just go through them here uh, in Acts one eight. <clears throat> In Acts 1-8, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, kind of like the one last time. Uh, They're wanting to know about the kingdom. They're wanting to know, uh, are you going to set up your kingdom now? And and he says, look, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which God has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. You're going to receive an ability. You're going to receive a touch. You're going to receive an unction and anointing. And that happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of uh, Pentecost. And he says, when you shall receive power, you're going to be witnesses. That's your job. That's your responsibility. That's what you'll be doing with the power that I'm going to give you. You're going to be a witness unto me. Now, he says this. You'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, I mean, if you want to say it this way, just to the whole world. I mean, we've got to be witnesses to the whole world. We do not have, as a local church, we do not just have a local ministry. Our focus is global. Say that with me. Our focus is Now, that's not with every church, and that's a shame. That's not with every church. There are, there are, there are tons of churches in America that, that operates more like uh, clubs and, and then, they, then they do the local church. The church is supposed to be global in thinking. We're supposed to be to the uttermost parts of the earth in thinking. Not just our families, not just our, our people, not just our communities. And the focus that, that, that many churches is just on themselves. And by the way, that's the reason they're not growing. If you do not have a global mentality, if you do not have an every creature mentality, if you don't have a go into all the world mentality, you're not going to have the touch and favor of God on you. You know why? Because God is a global God. Somebody say amen. amen. So he says go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the most parts of the earth. Now what I want to do, I'm going to give you some verses leading up to chapter 13 where we're at tonight in our study tonight. All right, and we'll see how they migrate 
in their ministry from Jerusalem, where it, where it began, where they were touched and anointed in Acts chapter number 2, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So we're going to move from there all the way to 13 to the uttermost. Okay, so first verse I want, I want you to, uh, to see is Acts 5.22. Acts 5.22. From, from Acts 1, from Acts 1 all the way to Acts 5, they were preaching primarily in Jerusalem. In other words, locally, right where they were. Now watch what it says in Acts 5.22 saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, watch what it says, Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So what were they doing? They were being obedient. They had Jerusalem filled with the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did they do? Let's, 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 do, let's do this. Let's do it like we have a checklist, okay? We, we've got, a, we've got on, on, on the board, uh, we, we're, we're strategizing, we, 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 are, uh, 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 we have our responsibilities, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. So uh, here in chapter 5, we find out we can check off Jerusalem, right? Y'all with me? Y'all awake? Anybody need coffee? We good, right? He said you filled Jerusalem with his doctrine. So we're going to check off Jerusalem, right? Okay, there we go. We check it off. Now watch this. Now we move to Acts 8. Now we move to Acts 8. Uh, now, this is right after this is right after the stoning of Stephen. Okay, Stephen's preached the gospel. Uh, he, preached, he preached the same message that Peter preached. He preached the same message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, thousands were saved. They were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what must we do? Thousands got saved. He preached the same message, and the Bible said they were so angry with him, so mad at him, they ran at him and bit him with their mouths and stoned him and killed him. Somebody say amen. Then began great persecution of the church. Now, I'm going to show you something. Watch this. Acts 8, 1 through 5. Now, Paul, who we're fixing to talk about, one of the greatest missionaries there ever was, he was consenting, it says in Acts 8, 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. In other words, he gave permission for Stephen to be stoned. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all, watch this, watch this, watch this. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of where? Ah, uh, imagine that. Watch this. They started in Jerusalem. Now, remember, remember, Jesus told them, Acts 1-8, but ye shall be witnesses unto me. Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What chapter are we in? Eight. Think about that. We're in eight. Chapter eight. And they're still in Jerusalem. They're not doing what God told them to do. They're not doing what Jesus told them to do. From Acts, Acts, Acts 1 to Acts 7, they're still in Jerusalem. They're supposed to leave Jerusalem and go into the uttermost parts of the earth. Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now watch what God has to do. God begins to allow persecution. What happened? What did... What did what, are, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say that we are? We're the light of the world, but we're also what? Come on, somebody said it. Everybody say it. You know what Jesus is doing? He's using persecution 
to get the salt out the shaker. You'll never reach the uttermost parts of the earth if you don't get out of Jerusalem. So what did God have to do? He had to stir things up a little bit. He allowed persecution to take place. Now, now here's what, here's what you've got to understand. God is about his business. And I'm going to say that again because I need that to sink in. I need you to really get this. God is about his business. He, he allows us in on it, but he's all about his will. He's all about his purposes. He's all about his business. And his business is going to get accomplished if he has to shake us up to do it. Y'all with me? Look what happens. Look as we read. Acts 1. The persecution of the church began. And because of the persecution, what did people do? They started running. They started running scared. They started fleeing. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. And that word havoc there, that means as an animal would tear its prey. In other words, as a, as a tiger would grab a, a zebra and just rip it to shreds. That's what the apostle Paul, which at, at that point his name was Saul, that's what he was doing to the church. He was killing people. He was arresting Christians and, and, and taking them and having them executed. And the Bible says he was entering into every house, hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad, God allowed persecution. Get them out the salt shaker. Get them. Listen, we got to get the gospel out of Jerusalem. If it's going to take persecution to do it, that's what we're going to do. So they're scattered abroad. They went everywhere. What were they doing? Preaching the word. Then Philip went down to a city of Samaria. And what did he do when he got there? So what, what, is, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is doing whatever it takes to get his purpose fulfilled. So, so far, so far, by, by Acts chapter 8, we have, we have Jerusalem filled with the doctrine, right? They were doing their job. They were doing what they were supposed to be in Jerusalem. How many of y'all know you can, get in a, you can get in a comfort zone? And how many of y'all know it's real easy for a comfort zone to turn into a rut? Well, God has a good way of stirring things up, amen? And I, 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 hate, I hate to pray. I hate to pray that God will stir up so we can get accomplished His will, but I'm afraid that God needs to go into the local American church and stir things up because we're not going and doing what God said. When I say we, I, I'm talking about the church in general. I, the temple is doing an incredible job. Y'all been sacrificing. Y'all been giving. Our, our missions program is really awesome. So I, 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 I got to be careful how I say that. But how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the church in general in America. All right? Here's the thing. God allowed persecution. Now, before, so, so, so we, remember, we're, we're back to the drawing board. We're back in, in, in uh, uh, doing our, our battle plans, you know, we're, our, our plan to reach the world. So we've got Jerusalem, check. Then we've got uh, 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 Judea and Samaria. Say it with me. All right. Now what's left? The uttermost parts of the earth. But here's the thing. Here's the significant thing. Most of the places that they preached at, in Judea and Samaria, they were primarily targeting Jews. But if you're going to 
if you're going to reach the uttermost parts of the earth, they're filled with Gentiles. They're filled with Gentiles. Now, how many of y'all knew and understand by study that you've studied so far that Jews and Gentiles didn't necessarily get along? Matter of fact, most Jews would not cross the same street as Gentiles or Samaritans. Now, God's kind of God's got them, you know, he's, he's kind of got them with the Jews or the Samaritans because they're, they're half Jew. But now we're, we're going to the Gentiles. And, and a, an Orthodox Jew, they were not even allowed to eat with a, a Gentile. So what happens? Chapter 10 happens. Chapter 10 happens. Now, what happens in chapter 10? Uh, well, we see that God has to change Peter's heart. All right? And I promise you, we're going to get to the outline, but i got to kind of set this up. you got to, you got to get the progression here. All right? In Acts chapter number 10, uh, Peter, he, he's, he's, he's kind of uh, uh, daydreaming a little bit, and he, he's in a trance, and he's praying, and, and uh, he's kind of dozing off, and God, God sends him a vision. And that vision is of meat that he's not allowed to have as a Jew. It wasn't kosher. And God says, hey, get up and eat. He says, I've never done that. I'm, I'm a Jew. I've never done that. Three different times God told him, hey, get up and eat. And I, I'm paraphrasing. Y'all go read it and you read the whole thing. Well, he realized God's trying to teach him something. God's trying to show him something. Well, uh, God is moving in Cornelius' heart, which is a Gentile. At the same time, he's speaking to Peter. So Cornelius sends a servant to, to, to Peter to say, hey, God wants you to speak to us. God wants you to help us. Because they don't know anything. They're religious and they believe in God, but they don't know nothing about Jesus. But God's moving. Say amen. And God's working behind the scene. So they come, the servant comes to Peter, and Peter says, all right, I'll come with you. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and then it dawns on him, he figures out what God has been trying to tell him. That God is not just the God of the Jews, he's the God of the whole world, and he wants the Gentiles to be saved too. And so they get saved. Peter begins to share with them the gospel. I mean, he ain't even through preaching his sermon. And God touches them. They're full of the Holy Ghost and they get saved. And Peter's blown away. And the Jews that came with Peter to Cornelius' house, they're blown away. They say, wow, man, this is great. What happened to us on Acts chapter 2 has happened to them. God's accepted them too. How many of y'all know everybody don't like change? Well, they hear about what happened, Acts 11, they hear about what happened uh, with, with Peter and the Gentiles and the, and the church people back in Jerusalem. They didn't like it. And that's par for the course. Many times when God does something different and there's something new, most of the time seasoned church people don't like it. Especially if they don't understand it. Well, Peter comes back, explains everything. Hey, look, man, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. I, I, just, I was just sharing the gospel. And you remember that, that cool thing that happened to us in Acts chapter number 2? Remember that thing that happened to us on the day of Pentecost? It happened to them too. So God had to, God's accepted them too. And you know what they said? Woohoo! all right. They could not have been Baptists. Say amen. Because <laughs> if it had been Baptists, they'd have needed three conferences and two votes to make it happen. Amen. They can't just accept truth. And, and I mean, it's obvious. You see all the, I mean, when they first heard that all these people got saved, they should have just been rejoicing. 
Because Jesus did save Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the... Isn't it amazing how this, the Bible just... By Acts 5, they filled Jerusalem with the doctrine. By Acts 8, you know, we've got Judea and Samaria. But before we can reach the uttermost, before we get to chapter 13... He's got to do some work in the disciples between 10, 11, and 12 so that they would be willing to go to the Gentiles. Now, here's here's the deal. Now we're going to get to the outline. From Acts 1 to Acts 12, okay? From Acts 1 to Acts 12, the central location of ministry is Jerusalem. It is the center of activity. Everything is surrounding Jerusalem, and the main character is Peter. Okay? Now keep that in your head. The center of activity is in? And the main character is? Now things are fixing to change. Okay? Things are fixing to change. When we get to chapter 13, the center of activity is no longer Jerusalem. The center of activity is Antioch in Syria. Okay? The gospel has gotten to Antioch. There is a a nucleus of a church there. And listen, Paul and Barnabas has been sent there. And now here they are in Antioch. And by the way, by the way, uh, the very first time that they were called Christians was in Antioch. And Antioch was the missionary church. Here in Antioch is where we find the official. Now we know, we know that before Jesus left, he commanded everybody. He commissioned everybody. And so everybody's missionaries, everybody's got a responsibility to share the gospel, everybody's got a responsibility to witness. But here in Acts 13, we find the official sending, calling, sending, uh, supporting of official missionaries to go to the uttermost. Yes, y'all are catching on. Amen. Right? Go to the uttermost. Now, we're primarily missionaries to Jerusalem. Our local area. But do you know God will call people out of here? And I hope he does. I hope he does. I hope he calls all kind of people out of our Jerusalem to go to the uttermost. And that's what we're fixing to see here. But we need to see some things before we see how that took place. All right? Now, if y'all are with me, say amen. Now, in, in, in Acts 5.22, you have Jerusalem. In Acts 8.1-5, through 5, you have Judea and Samaria. Then in uh, Acts 11, Acts 11, verse 19, watch what it says. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose upon Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, if y'all are with me, say amen. That's how the gospel got to Antioch. Now, let's look what happens as the church is being formed, as the church is operating and serving and ministering here in Antioch. Okay? Acts 13. Let's get to our text now. He says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. 
And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. All right. Uh, Number one, number one, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. First thing I want you to see in the church, in the local church there. Now, remember, uh, the, 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 the base of operations has now moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. Antioch is the center of activity. Paul will be the main character from here on out. And listen, the primary target from Acts 1 to 12 is the Jewish people. Now, from 13 on, will be the Gentile people. And this is, in other words, this is how the gospel got to us. Say amen. Okay? Now, watch this. First thing I want you to write down. I want you to see the diversity of the church. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. I want you to see the diversity of the church. We don't need no white churches. We don't need no black churches. We don't, we, we don't need, we need the church. In this church that was very instrumental, I mean, it was, it was an incredible missions-minded missionary church. It was very diverse. And I know where I'm at. I know what city we're in. I know all about that. And listen, if you don't like that, take it up with Jesus. Let me read it to you. What were they diverse in? A, A, write this down. They were diverse in culture. There was a diversity of culture. While you're writing that down, let let me read your notes. Luke listed five different men who were ministering in the church. Barnabas, who we've already met. Simeon, who may have been uh, from Africa since his nickname was black. Uh, they don't, they're not sure, biblical scholars are not sure it was because of the skin tone or because of the area he was from as far as Africa. But then we see Lucius, who came from Cyrene and may have been one of the founders of the church in Antioch. We see that in Acts chapter 11. Manian, who was an intimate friend or perhaps an adopted foster brother of Herod Antipas. This is the one that killed John the Baptist. And then we have Paul. Last on the list, but soon to become first. What, what am I saying? You have, you have a total diversity of culture. There's people of different colors. There's people of different nationalities. People of different places. People of different countries all together. Why? Because God is not a nationalistic God. He's not an American white southern God. He's a God of the whole world. And so if a church is going to be the church, now I know, now, now listen, I, I'm, I've been doing this thing uh, long enough to know that there are different uh, types of churches in different places because of the, the population and the kind of population that you have. Uh, listen, uh, there's going to be predominantly white. If you're in a predominantly white area, it's going to be predominantly black. If you're in a predominantly black area or, or, or Spanish or Latino or whatever that might be, I understand all that. The point is, is you can't, you can't sift out nobody. In other words, God wants you to be a soul winner, not a skin winner. They were very diverse. Man, they were welcoming everybody to come in. There was not only diversity of culture, but this one, hey, this one might be as as difficult for some as the others. There was a diversity of character. Character. In other words, you had some people in there that was kind of had a, had a, a religious background, Then you got others in there that was heathens. In other words, the church is not just for good people. 
I, I, I've, had people, I've had people say this. You probably too. You probably too. You, you've probably been out witnessing and, and, and said, man, I want you to come to church with me. Go to church. And this is what they say. Boy, if I went in that church, the roof would. How many of y'all have heard that before? Here's what I want you to respond. Here's what I want you to say. Uh-uh. Let me hear you. Come on, say it with meaning, people. Say it. Because the preacher reinforced the roof. He knew you was coming. <laughs> you, mean, you, know, you know what Paul said? This, this, is, this is how Paul said it. Paul said, I was such a bad guy. He, he, he labeled himself two different ways. Now, this is Apostle Paul, writer of Scripture, church planner, missionary extraordinaire. Y'all with me? Somebody that got to go to heaven before he got there and see it and come back and wasn't allowed to tell nobody. You know what he said? I'm the least of the saints. I'm the least of the saints. In other words, if you list all the saints in the world, I'm at the bottom of the list. And not only am I the least of the saints, this is what he said. I was a chief. I was the chief of sinners. If you listed all the sinners in the world, I'd be at the top of the list. And this is what he said. This is great. He said, but God saved me. And this is what he said. The reason he saved me is to be an example to everybody. That if God can save me, he can save anybody. What do you have? You have that kind of person in the church. You got a person. let Let me put it this way. You, you've, got, you've got people in the church with a good reputation. And you've got people sitting right beside him with a. Listen, let me see if I can put it this way. I, I was in a church one time. I was in a church one time. They call all the time. Oh, help us, please come help us, come help us, come check, please come help us. And, and we try our best. We try our best. Slowing it down a little bit because it's getting kind of frustrating. Then when you go and try to help them, they won't do what you say. You want to punch them in the face. Say amen. Because <laughs> you're just wasting my time, man. I could have been golfing with Mo or something. Amen. I'm over here helping you and you want to do what I tell you. Anyway, I'm sorry I'm bitten just a little bit right there. Bitter, bitter. And I'm standing there, I'm standing there in the, in the building and I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Sunday school, uh, what do you call them things? Uh, the, 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 the thing where they put the numbers up there. The attendance bulletin board or whatever, you know, where you got Sunday school. And that, the, the ten, and I'm sitting there just staring at it. And it, and it, and it had like in, in, in Sunday school, there was like 90, 94, 94. I'm, I'm, I may not be dead on it, but I'm pretty close. 94. And, and in church, there was like 100. Or it, it might have been 99, I don't know. But it was only just a couple just a couple difference. And I'm looking at that, and he saw me looking at it. <clears throat> and, and he said, he said, boy, that's good, isn't it? I said, man, that's terrible. <laughs> and his point, his point was that just about his whole church was going to Sunday school. That's great, isn't it? That's what, it, that's his, that's what he was thinking. And I said, no, that's terrible. He said, what do you mean? I said, that means you don't have no hoodlums in here. Because hoodlums don't go to Sunday school. 
And that means the people that go to Sunday school are not bringing their hoodlum friends with them. Now does this make sense? Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying this. If we come here on Sunday morning and you don't sit beside somebody that smells like smoke or look like they're hungover or look like they just, they need something. Y'all with me? Then we're not doing our job. You know, we've had, the, we've had the, the criticism. Somebody drove by and see some people that didn't look Sunday schoolish walk into the church and say, look, look at the riffraff going in there. If we don't have that complaint against us on a regular basis, we're not doing our job. Because the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be diverse. It is supposed to be going into a lost and dying world in a broken society, in a broken culture, and bringing and hurting people who don't look like Sunday school people, who don't know the Bible, who don't act right and don't talk right, don't smell right and don't look right, and bring them into a place that will love them just like they are and tell them, Jesus loves you, this I know, for my Bible tells me so, and my Bible tells me to love you too. Not the last part. I was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been in Ohio a while. I mean, them Yankees got me all. Am I right? You know what got Jesus criticized more than anything? Loving on hoodlums. He goes to a, he goes to a thief sitting up in a tree. You know Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, climb up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Uh-huh. A thief, a tax collector. Everybody hated him. Jesus walks under a tree and says, I see you up there. I'm going to your house today. Boy, Zacchaeus was so excited. He was so happy that somebody cared. And you know what the religious crowd did? Criticized Jesus. All I'm saying is this, guys. we got to have a diverse church. We, everybody's not going to come to our church. Not, every culture is not going to like our style. But we've got to be the type that's willing to say, whosoever will, let them come. Y'all with me? So the greatest, I say greatest, a great example of a missions-minded church is they were diverse. Not only in culture, but in character. They had good people and bad people. Reputations in there. God changes all people. Amen. Amen? All right, number two. Write this down. <clears throat> number two. <clears throat> and, and I got, some, I got some, uh, some verses underneath culture and character there you can read when you get home. But I'm, I'm running out of time, so I got to go fast, okay? Because I got some really good stuff I want to give you at the end that you'll have to write down in that space that you're not going to have enough space to write it down in. All right? <clears throat> I want you to see the diligence of the church. The diligence of the church, not the, not the diversity of the church, but in verse 2, I want you to see the diligence of the church. Man, they were committed. Look what they did. As they ministered, they were serving the Lord. They were busy. They were not lazy. They were active. Not only were they busy, but they were fasting, all right? So two things I want you to, I want you to see here in verse number 2. First thing, I want you to see committed involvement. Committed involvement. I've, I've heard people say, I want God to use me. 
I want God to use me. In other words, they're thinking, they're thinking that God's going to call them to the mission field, but they won't even help stack chairs at church. I, I want God to use me, but when you ask for volunteers, and you ain't nowhere to be found. What were they doing? Here's, let me just put it simple. Cause I, I'm, I got to get to this last part, and I'm running out of time fast. Here, here's one thing. Keep in your head. Everybody keep in your head. God will never use a lazy person. They were already serving. They were already busy. Look in, the, look in your notes. Look in your notes. Look in your notes. Look, what it, look at where it says one, two, three, four. When God called these certain people, look what. Saul was looking for his father's donkeys when God called him. David was watching sheep. Elisha was plowing ground. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishing. In other words, they were all in, listen, they were all busy. They were all serving. You, you got to have some initiative. Are y'all with me? These people were serving in the local church. They were ministering in the local church. My dad, when, when a missionary would come, and they would want to uh, try to present their, their ministry to get financial support. My dad would ask them to go with him to do stuff. Uh, not, not telling them why, but just get them to do stuff. If they were not willing to help him do stuff, he said, if they won't work here, they won't work there. And so what is he doing? He's calling people who are involved. He's calling people who are committed. What did Paul tell Timothy? He said, that which thou hast learned of me, commit thou to faithful. Say that with me. Commit thou to faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. I have seen this in church. I have seen this in church. Uh, one, of the first, one of the first churches that, 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 that well, I say one of the first, the only other church I pastored, man. Uh, I, I went there and, and they had a lady... They had a lady cleaning and, and, and wasn't doing a really good job, and, and I wanted to talk to him about it. And, and, and to make a long story short, it was the niece of one of the, uh, one of the leaders in the church, and the reason that they gave her the cleaning job was to get her to come to church. And I said, that's not how this works. You don't give somebody something to get them to be faithful. You give somebody responsibility to some who's already faithful. Does this make sense? And so what do we see? What do we see? We see they were committed. They were involved. They were serving. They were working. They were in the ministry already. They were already doing something. So that brings up the second. Write this down. Not only do you see a, a, a committed involvement, but then you see a chosen invitation. Write that down. <clears throat> this is the kind of bittersweet part of ministry. This is the kind of bittersweet part of ministries. Travis, where are you at? Oh, okay, I got you. Uh, Brother Travis, most, I don't know if most everybody should know him. If you don't introduce him, he's there. Uh, uh, he's, he's with Unsheltered International, just got back from the Philippines, and, 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 and God called him to preach. God called him to preach out of my dad's church at Bethel Baptist Church, called him to preach and went to Bible college. And, and from there, God led him into working with the homeless. And, and, and initially in the United States, now abroad uh, to the uttermost parts. Amen. When you got to fly, how many hours is it? 14 hours? 20. Ho, 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 ho. When you got to fly 21 hours, that's the uttermost. Say amen. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It started at Bethel Baptist Church. What was he doing? He got saved. 
He's involved, baptized, joined the local church. He's serving in the local church. He's visiting in the local church. He's doing things and helping, doing whatever's needing to be done. Now all of a sudden he feels a call on his life. He feels a call on his life. I'm not going to go in that long story. I'd love to share it, but I'm out of time. Uh, 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 but it's a really cool story. We'll share it later. Uh, but now he, he's going to, to go to school. So guess what happens? This local church who is using his service and using his resources and using his time and using his energy and his gifts and he is being a blessing to this local church, guess what they have to do? They have to give him up. That's the bitter part. The sweet part is that now he's representing, even though he's a member of Temple Baptist Church, he's also representing Bethel that he was sent out from to do the calling he did. If that makes sense, say amen. So now we have an invitation. How many of y'all know? How many of y'all know? We know what Paul was like. We know what kind of man of God he was. We know what kind of servant he was. We know how, in, listen, how very influential he was. How many of y'all know that when, when, when they left the church, that church missed them too? It was almost like God was calling the best of the best. But you know what? God has a way of replacing people that he sends out. Amen. But this is what happens. You will see people. You will see people. It's, it's kind of like, like what God did at Fairview. You know, we, we've got some of our best people. Some of our best people that were very involved in ministry here. Very involved in different things and serving and, and very dependable. And you could, man, you could just rely on them. Guess what? They're no longer here, but they're serving God there. Does this make sense? But it all starts with being faithful where you are. My point is this. If, if, if you want God to use you, you need to be usable. See, most... Uh, I hate the clock. I hate the clock. Say amen. We can do a 2B continue next week if we run out of time. The problem with most people is not their ability. But most people will use that as an excuse. Well, I just, I just don't know how to do. I don't have no ability. I don't. God doesn't need no ability. If he can take a little young fella with a sling and kill a nine and a half foot tall giant who was a man of war since his youth. Y'all with me? If he, can, if he can take Elijah by himself against all those prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, send fire down from heaven... It's not people's ability that's holding you back. It's not. The problem with most people is not their ability. It's their availability. <laughs> we need to change our prayers a little bit. Just adjust them a little bit. If you're not praying at all, you need to start. But our, our prayers need to change them. Oh, God, send somebody. Yeah, y'all know where I'm going. What Isaiah say? Here am. And? That's a little weak. Send me. God may not send you. God may not send you. But I promise you this. He wants you to be willing to go. Will you make yourself available? 
Paul and them said, hey, here we are. The Holy Ghost. <clears throat> this is number three. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We might make it. We might make it. Have some faith, people. <clears throat> Look, number three. Number three. What did I say number one? Number one, we see the. Come on, everybody. Number one, the. The diversity of the church. Number two, the. The diligence of the church. They were fasting. They were praying. They were ministering. Man, they were faithful. They were serving God. And, and when they did that, then number three, I want you to see the delegation of the church. The delegation of the church. What did they do? The Holy Spirit put a call, put a call on, on, on Paul and Barnabas' life and said, separate to me. Now, what were they doing? They were, they were connected with the church, right? Is everybody with me? Look at me, everybody. Look. They were connected to the church. They were involved. They were serving. They were in ministry. They had responsibilities. They had responsibilities. Maybe they had classes they were teaching. Maybe they had ministries they were running. But they, whatever it was, they were intricately involved and connected with the church. And what God says, I need you to separate them. It's almost like a surgical term. You're going to have to take them out of their responsibilities, take them out of what they were doing, the ministries they were doing. You have to relieve them from their responsibilities. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> two things. Let me give you these two things, and then we'll talk about it, okay? First, first, there is agreement. Write that down. There is agreement. Look in verse 3. Verse 3. And when they had fasted and prayed... And what's the next three words? Or actually five. And laid their hands on. Say it again. And. So the church got them around. And, and listen, the, 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 the elders of the church, the people there, they put their hands on them, prayed for them. And by, by doing that, that is symbolically saying, hey, we are with you. You have our blessing." Are y'all with me? Right there, it's, it symbolically represents the affirmation, support, and identification with someone and his ministry. When Brother, when brother Travis, when he goes to uh, the Philippines, he's representing Unsheltered International, but he's also representing Temple Baptist Church. If somebody else uh, 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 confronts him about who, who is your sending, he sends them to me, or specifically Temple because Temple's hand is upon him, affirming him, sending him. And basically, what we're telling him is, we got your... Amen. Amen? And that's what they're saying. You're fixing to go to a foreign field. You're fixing to go. But we want you to know we are with you. You have our blessing. You have our affirmation, you have our favor, we're here for you, we've got your, so what to say it, we're in agreement, we're in agreement, we're partners, what is, here's, here's, let's put it in mechanical terms, how many of y'all seen a, a socket, a ratchet, what happens when you have the socket on the ratchet, but it can't reach the bolt, you get an extension all right i'm i'm the the ratchet the gospel is the socket and i got to get it to the philippines 
So Brother Travis is the extension. Okay? I'm the ratchet. The gospel is the socket. I can't be down there at TSM. So Brother Andrew is the... I'm the ratchet. The gospel is the socket. I can't be up there with the little people. So Brother Josh is the... What's he going to tell them up there? Same thing I'm telling you in here. If he don't, he won't be an extension very long. That's biblical, guys. What was Timothy to teach? What Paul tell him? Paul told Timothy, That which thou hast learned of me, commit thou to faithful men, that they may be able to teach others also. Teach others what? What Timothy teaches them? What Paul taught Timothy. You know what they're going to tell the little kids there and the teenagers down there? Whatever I'm going to tell you in here. Because they are an extension of the ratchet. We can't reach the Philippines, so we have an extension. Brother Travis, we can't reach Tanzania, so what do we got? Brother Wagner, now he's going to Rome. What is he? He's an extension to help us get the gospel to Rome. We're the ratchet, they're the gospel, he's the extension. Say amen. amen. And we are all partners amen. and in agreement. Does that make sense? Now watch, watch. Oh, we got time, we got time. It's great. Uh, B, B. <clears throat> we see their agreement, but then their allegiance. Their allegiance. And this is key. This is where I really wanted to get tonight. Their allegiance. They were totally relieved. In other words... They were separated from their responsibilities in the church. They were basically relieved from their duty. You're no longer teaching in this class. You're no longer serving in this ministry. You're no longer leading in this area because God's got something else for you to do. We will take this over. We will do whatever. We're relieving you from this responsibility. Now go do what God's calling you to do. And as you're going to do what God's going to call you to do, we're going to help you with your financial responsibilities and commitments to help you accomplish that. That's what that means. It says, and they sent them away. Sent doesn't mean just says, be gone. They helped them go. They gave them aid and, and, and uh, the ability, the financial ability to go do the calling that God sent them. In Acts 13, we find the very first official missionary journey. And from that time on, God has been calling people to go. Calling people to Africa, calling people to Germany, calling people to Korea, calling people to China, calling people to South America and to Brazil. And Are y'all with me? Now, here's what I want you to get at. These are not, just write, just write the, the, the addresses down. They don't, they don't even have this, so they probably won't be able to put these on the screen. Uh, but let me, let me, let's talk about this just a minute. On, on the financial aspect, how do missionaries go? How do they get to the field and are able to stay on the field to proclaim the gospel? Here, here's what I want you to share with you. <clears throat> Paul, uh, when he got to Corinth, when he got to Corinth, the very first thing he did was hook up with uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Okay, I think, this is in, I think this is Acts 18. Brother Travis, can you check that for me? It should be in the very first verses. I think it's Acts 18. Paul gets to Corinth to, 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 to serve and to win and to reach people with the gospel. Uh, he joins up with Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers. 
How many of y'all remember uh, Brother Bounds last week talking about uh, this is my tent making when he was talking about cutting them trees down? How many of y'all remember that? that? That was the reference he was talking about. That when Paul first got to the mission field, he worked as a tent maker with Aquila and Priscilla. Say it again. Acts 18, just write that down. You can look at it later. Acts 18, verse 2. Okay? Now, here's what happened. While he was working, he was witnessing. While he was working, he was witnessing. And he was preaching. And he was sharing the gospel. He was serving as a missionary. Now, here's what happened. Here's what happened. It caused some issues. It caused some issues. Because Paul didn't want anybody to have any reason whatsoever to, to criticize him by taking offerings from them. He didn't take any offerings from the church at Corinth, or excuse me, the people of Corinth, the people he was trying to win to Christ. He wouldn't take it. And I'll read some of these verses here in just a second. Uh, there were several reasons for that. It wasn't that Paul didn't think he deserved it or had a right to it. Paul believed that you, if a man preaches the gospel, he should live with the gospel. Now, let me, let me give you those verses, and then we'll come back to what Paul's reasoning was. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's dealing with critics. He's dealing with critics because the culture of that day, you determined, you determined the, the legitimacy of the speaker by how much he charged. In other words, the more he charged the greater the speaker he was. And the, and the greater authority, if you will, uh, uh, the, the greater impact or influence he had. But, but Paul charged nothing. Nothing. And so they, the, the false teachers were claiming that he was a counterfeit. And they were using this as a reason. They were saying, look, this is, now, now Paul, he did not take their offerings for a purpose because there were many, many, many false teachers. And the false teachers were like today's prosperity preachers who were in it for the money. And he wanted to so far distance himself from them. He didn't even want to be even closely associated or remotely thought the same of them. So he said, I will take nothing. Now, let, is everybody with me on that? Now, watch, watch, what, watch what happens. Watch what happens. Okay? Now he defends himself from the criticism. Because they were criticizing him because he wasn't, he wasn't receiving that. Now, watch what he says. 1 Corinthians 9. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power? Now, I want you to put this in your mind. The word power here is the word right. He says we have a right to these things. So anytime we see the word power, I want you to put in your head right, okay? So it'll help you understand it. We have a right to eat and to drink. We have not power to lead about a wife. He says, in other words, I have a right to have a wife as well as the other apostles, as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas, or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? In other words, I have a right to live of the gospel. In other words, not to be a tent maker. I have a right to do that. He says, who goeth, and now he explains why. Who goeth the warfare at any time at his own charges? Who planteth, in other words, our army, they go fight the war, but our government takes care of them. They don't go to war and supply their own needs. Does that make sense? Amen. Now watch. Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? 
Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? In other words, I'm not making this up. This is in the Scriptures. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of the hope. In other words, if the farmer is going to work hard in the crop, he should be partaker of the crop. If that makes sense, say amen. And, he's, and in reference to ministry, if the man of God is preaching and he's serving and he's working hard, he should be partakers of the blessings of the ministry. All right? If others be partakers of this power or right over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, this is the key. Nevertheless, we have not used this power or this right to receive an offering, but suffer all things, here's the reason, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not, or do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, that they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. What he's using here is an illustration of the priests in the temple. The priests lived by the offerings that were brought in. That's how they, they survived, how, that's how they provided their needs and their provisions. Now he says, even so doth, hath the Lord ordained that they that preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done so unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now, <clears throat> let, me, let me read you two more verses, two more portions of Scripture. Galatians 6, 6. Let him that is taught in the word, in other words, as you, Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. That's your leader, your pastor, whoever is helping you spiritually. If I'm helping you spiritually, he is saying communicate unto him materially. That's what he's saying. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now watch this, 1 Timothy five seventeen. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his hire. Now, so what have we learned? What have we learned? We have learned that Paul believed in the men of God being taken care of through the gospel. If that makes sense, say amen. The man of God has a right to be financially cared for and taken care for if he is ministering of the gospel. He that preaches the gospel lives of the gospel. Now I know what you're thinking. Then why didn't he take it? Why didn't he receive an offering from the Corinthians? Because he did not want to hinder the gospel. I, I, I've seen people, I've seen people that don't know their Bible run around. Listen, Paul was a tent maker. He never took an offering. That's not true. And I'm going to prove that in a minute. He never took it from the people specifically in a foreign nation or a mission field that he was trying to reach. But he took it from the churches that sent him. If that makes sense, say amen. 
Why? Not to hinder the gospel. He didn't want nobody saying this. Oh, you're just doing this to make some. He did not want to be associated with the false teachers who were all about the. Does that make sense? Watch, let me prove it. Let me prove what, he's, what, what, what we see. Here in, in uh, let's see. Let me find my verse here. In Philippians chapter 4. In one of the, in one of the, the, the verses, he says, this is the terminology he used. I think, it's in, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 9 or 1 Corinthians 11. Let me see. Uh, okay, 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11. Look at, look at what he says. Look at the terminology he uses. Have I committed an offense? This is what he's saying. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself? In other words, for working manual labor. Because see, the Greeks and, and the people of the culture in Corinth, they believed that, that kind, the kind of work that Paul was doing was for slaves. And so they were criticizing him. And they were ridiculing his ministry. And he says, you got an issue? You got an issue with me because I am lowering myself so I can win you to Christ? That's basically what he's saying. Watch what he says. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 8. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. What was he saying? Now, now he's using the term rob. Paul never took something from somebody without their consent. That's not what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He's saying churches from another land gave to me. So I can reach you. I took no offering from you. But I took wages and support and financial gifts from other churches in other lands. Who will not get anything out of it physically. In other words, these churches are not going to benefit specifically from their offering. You're getting the benefit from them. That's what he's saying when he says, I robbed these churches to bless you. To benefit you. You know what? When y'all give and we, we purchase these things, we're not going to get an immediate benefit. Physically. Physically. When you give the offering, it's not going to show up in here. It's going to buy these and they're going to go over there. So technically, we're not going to get an immediate benefit from it. But Spiritually. This brings us to Philippians. And I know I'm going around to get to somewhere. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul is thanking the the Philippian believers for their gift, for their financial support. Now watch what he says. And this is it right here. Now are we all understanding what's going on here? Paul, let's let's do it this way. Let's let's put, so we can, it makes sense to us. In other words, Brother Travis is not going to go to the, the little Filipinos there and say, give me an offering to help me reach you. Y'all with me? We're going to help him. We're going to, out of our abundance and out of God blessing us, we're going to help him go to them so he don't have to take an offering from them so he can freely give them the gospel. 
Does that make sense? Amen. Okay. Now, watch this. Watch in Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. And, 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 and watch what it says. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye also are careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. In other words, Paul says, man, I'm thankful for the offering, but I, need you to, I want you to know something. It's not because I was in a bad way. Because I've learned to have nothing. I've learned to be blessed, and I've learned to have nothing. That's what he's saying. I know how to abound, and I know how to be abased. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Notwithstanding... Irregardless, he says, thank you. You've done well. That ye did, what's that word? That ye did, everybody say it. That ye did, that word means partner. It means to share. In other words, when they sent the offering to Paul to be able to reach the Corinthians, they were partnering with him. When we send financial uh, support to Brother Travis, Brother, Brother Wagner, our other missionaries that are out there, we are partnering with them. We are fellowshipping. We're together. We're going to reach these people together. Does that make sense? Say amen. All right, you communicated with me uh, in my affliction. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I first started preaching, when I first got here, it says, No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift. Now watch this. I'm going somewhere. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. That's purpose. So there's, there's five words I want you to write down. First is partnership. The second word is purpose. Purpose. What is Paul saying? These Philippians are storing up treasures in heaven... By the offering they give. He says, I, I'm not asking it because I need a gift. I want you to send it so you, can, so you can add to your account in glory. What does he say? Lay not up treasures for yourself here on this earth, but lay them up there. Say amen. amen. Now what are y'all going to do? Remember when I said we're not going to initially benefit from these? Remember, we're going to raise the money, we're going to buy these, and we're not initially in this building, in this ministry, we're not going to benefit from the money we spend here. But when we get to glory, let me say that again, because y'all didn't get what I just said. Now, you can't appreciate this right here. But one day when you're standing before God, and God checks your account, and he sees the sacrifice you made, to get the gospel to the uttermost, to little children and little villages and little places that did not have the gospel, and you gave up something so they could have it, your account is going to look pretty good. Amen? He said, I want you to have fruit to your account. I want you to have something to offer God when you get there. I want you to look good when you're standing in front of the judgment seat of Christ. He said, but I have all in abound, and I am full, having received of... <laughs> whatever you want to call him, amen. The things which were sent from you, watch what he calls it, watch what he calls their offering, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, what's that word? Well, say it with me, well to God. See, we got partnership, we got purpose, and then we got pleasing. 
See, when, in the Old Testament, when they would offer up a sacrifice and it would go up to God, in God's nostrils, it was a sweet smell because of their sacrifice. And what he's saying here is this gift that you've given me to be able to reach these people with the gospel, in God's eyes, it is well, well pleasing. Look at the next verse. He said, now let me, let me assure you of something. Let me assure you of something. Now he's speaking to people who has sacrificed to be a blessing and get the gospel to others. Watch what he says. He said, I know you sacrificed and you gave. I know you didn't give out of your abundance. You gave out of your poverty. But let me assure you of something. Here's the promise. There's that P word, a promise. My God shall supply. Hey, he said, you supplied one of my needs. But God will supply. See, I'm out of time. And I want to throw down right there. Isn't that great? Listen. That's a promise. My God shall supply all your need according to his. See, you gave out of poverty, but God's going to give out of his riches. Man, that's good. My, I'm going to read it again. I'm just going to read it again. But my God, I need to hear this myself. My God shall supply all your need. You, you bless my need out of your poverty, but God is going to meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. By, how many of y'all know he's loaded? Amen? I'm going to give you a story in just a minute. <clears throat> now, what is this all about? What is this all about? What Paul's doing on the foreign field, what missionaries are doing in Africa and Asia, and what we're doing here to get them there. Now, unto, verse 20. Oh, you don't have it. Now, unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We have partnership, purpose, pleasing, promise, and praise. You know what this is all about when it's all said and done? Yeah, it's for, for little villagers to get saved. Yeah, it's for little Filipino people to get some medicine. And it's for some, some village in, in a remote part of the jungle somewhere to hear the gospel in their language. You know what it's really about? God get the glory. God gives glory when they get saved. God gives glory when we give and sacrifice. God gives glory when these things are purchased. God gives glory when a missionary straps this on and cuts across the jungle. That's what it's all about. Everything we do is for the glory of God. And all God's people say it. Amen. I'm not sure how over time I went, so I need y'all to run and get the children. <clears throat> and all God's people say it. All right, all right, all right. Listen, make sure and be here Sunday. It's going to be awesome. I'm telling you, it's going to be so awesome. It's awesome. It's going to be awesome. And all God's people say it. Amen. Lord, thank you for all that you